Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we do an overview of Colossians today, we pray that you will help us to grasp uh, the overall message of Colossians, to see how important it is for us to hear today, that it speaks powerfully to our generation just as it did to the people of Colossae, and that truly you will help us to dig deep into your word so that we may really fix itself in our minds and our hearts and we may live it out. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now for those of you who are using the uh, outlines, you may want to make a, diff- uh, a bit of a correction because uh, early this morning I realized that I wanted to change the sermon a bit. So I changed it and uh, point three will actually now become uh, the last point. Okay, so you can work out the numbering yourself. Okay, so um, let me just begin. Now, we live in a world of uh, sound clips. Uh, We live in a world of uh, taglines, you know, slogans. And I'm sure that all of you are familiar with the slogans and taglines of this generation. Okay, now uh, we're going to do a quiz, okay? Uh, No prizes, but uh, just see how quick you are. Just do it. Nike, right? Okay. I'm loving it. McDonald's, okay. Amos is the fastest. Shows you what his, uh, his food preferences are, okay? Okay. Delighting you always. Ah, oh, see. Ah, uh, Canon. Who's a Canon? Ah, uh, Canon, right? Okay. Uh, impossible is nothing. Okay, I'll give you a hard one now. One life, live it. M1. Okay, that's right. Okay? Now, you see, it shows you that in the world we live in, we, we, we are full of these taglines and slogans which we, we use to associate with products. And I remember reading this book, that actually Christians are becoming like that. You see, it, it reflects a, a, what they say, a dumbing down of society, where we just rely on one sentence to ca- capture or encapsulate something. So I was reading somewhere that actually, uh, in theological colleges where they do uh, entrance exams, they realize that the knowledge of Christians coming through to theological college is actually getting less and less. Uh, Christians are actually learning less and less of the Bible. And what it was saying was that, Actually, as Christians, we are, we are a generation of tagline Christians, where we just know verses or snippets of the Bible, right? So we know John 3.16, or, you know, we know that Jesus loves me, uh, you know, or we, you know, we say things like, what would Jesus do? But we don't really know the Bible as a whole, and that's really dangerous. That's really dangerous, because last week, my dad invited his uh, Bible study to our house, and I remember having a conversation with this man, uh, quite elderly man, he'd just become a Christian. And his uh, understanding of Christianity was always this. He kept using this phrase, follow the narrow road, follow the narrow road. That's why he kept saying, follow the narrow gate, right? And he thought that being a Christian was just following the narrow gate. Uh, you know, working hard and being a good person, uh, you know, going on the narrow path and things like that. I said, actually, you know, you've got to understand what that means in the bigger context of the Sermon on the Mount, that it's not about doing works. But following the narrow road means the hard life of following Jesus. So, for ourselves, right, we need to understand books of the Bible, letters of the Bible, because that's the way it's written. Right? In fact, if you come to the end of Colossians, come to the end of Colossians chapter 4, verse 16, okay, you need your Bibles. Okay, having a Bible is the number one prerequisite in understanding it, because if you don't have it, you can't study it. Look at what it says there in chapter 4, verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see also that it's also read to the church of the Laodicea. So, what the, the, the letter here we have in front of us in Colossians would have been read once off through in church. 
And that's the way that we're meant to understand uh, the books of the Bible, the letters of the Bible. So, if I were to ask you this question, what is Colossians about? Would you be able to tell me? If I were to ask you, what is the argument of Colossians about? Would you be able to tell me? Or if I ask you, what is the difference between Colossians and 1 Corinthians? Would you be able to tell me what the difference is? See, if you, if you, if you don't have um, a confidence in answering those questions, it means that you're not understanding the Bible within the letters and the books that it's written in. And I think that's very dangerous. And I think that's why we're doing this overview. So before we look at Colossians, we understand as a whole what it's trying to say. So let's uh, start off where we should start off, which is at the beginning. And let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 to 2. Okay, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ, I call us say, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So right from the beginning, we know that Colossians is a letter written by Paul, and also he mentions Timothy, so that means he's writing it, but he's not writing it by himself, he's writing it together with other Christians who agree with what he's writing. And he's writing to these Christians, the holy and faithful brothers, in, Coloss- in Colossae. Now we learn uh, later on, I've got lots of slides today, just because you know, we're, we're sort of trying to get a big feel. Now we learn later in the Bible, uh, sorry, in the Colossians, that Paul has never been to Colossae. He has never met these Christians before. But he knows that they are Christians because there was this guy called Epaphras who had brought the gospel to Colossae. So if you look up here on this slide, in chapter 1 it says, uh, you learned it, you learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. And then in chapter 4, verse 12 to 13, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, so Epaphras is is a Colossian Christian, he's a local, okay, he's a local. He's one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him who is, that he's working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. So, Paul writes to them, but he's never been there, but he knows a lot about them because Epaphras, who has a local, has come and told him news of what's happening at Colossae. Now, how did this happen? How did Epaphras come to bring the good news to the church in Colossae? Well, if you look up here in the slide, um, what happened was in the third, uh, okay, Paul the Apostle had three missionary journeys uh, which he undertook from uh, uh, the Middle East to what is modern day Turkey and Italy, right? So this is the third missionary journey of Paul and uh, it's, it's recorded here in Acts chapter 19 verse 10 that he stopped in this place called Ephesus. Uh, I don't know whether you can see that on the map, but there's a, there's a little blue star there. Can you see that? Okay, trust me, it's there, okay? There's a little blue, oh, that's good, thanks, thanks, thanks. Okay, there's a little blue star there, Ephesus. And for two years, Paul was preaching at a school hall with a schoolmaster called Tyrannus. Uh, it tells you a bit of schoolmasters then, right? He's a tyrant, a teacher called a tyrant. Okay, and he preached at this school hall where the principal was called a tyrant. And during this time, many, many people became Christians. Presumably, Epaphras came from uh, Colossae. Next slide. Okay, you can see Colossae and, and Ephesus are quite close, right? 
maybe a bit like, um, I don't know what equivalent distances, maybe KL to Singapore, I don't know. But, but you imagine, like, so, uh, you know, Epaphras heard the good news there in uh, the school hall in Ephesus. He brought the good news back to Colossae. And now, he has returned back to Paul and he's told him all this news about uh, what's happening in, uh, in the church in Colossae. Now, unfortunately, when Paul writes this letter, when Epaphras has been giving him this news about what's happening with these Christians in Colossae, Paul is not in a good place. Okay? He's not having a holiday at the Riviera. He's not looking for Prada or Gucci in Rome. But if you look at the next slide, right, it says there that my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you greetings as this Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Okay? And again, chapter 4, verse 18. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Okay, so here we know that when Paul writes this letter, next slide, he's, he's, in, he's in a prison somewhere, and most people feel that he's most probably in prison in Rome. Okay, uh, some recent scholars believe that maybe he was a bit closer in Ephesus, but, but most, the majority of people believe that he's in prison in Rome. And he, uh, he writes to them about, uh, uh, you know, about many things. Now, we know that uh, the Christians in uh, Colossae are good Christians. They are not nominal Christians. They are not hypocrites. They are not Sunday Christians. But they are very sincere Christians. We can see that in chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. So, again, look down your Bibles. Uh, chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. You can find out what, what sort of Christians uh, they are, right? So, he begins his letter in verse 3 by thanking God. And he thanks God for the faith and the love of these Colossian Christians. Verse 3. Uh, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. So here, right from the very onset, just in the first, I don't know, five verses, we know lots about this letter. It's written by Paul. It's written in Colossians that he's not met. There are, uh, you know, Epaphras is this person who's brought the good news. But last of all, also that the, the Colossian Christians are good Christians. They're strong in faith and they show love to one another. But the question we have to ask ourselves is then, if all these things is going so well, right, if everything is so smooth, if everything is hunky-dory, why is it we need to be reading this letter now. Because he sent this letter all the way from Rome down to um, Colossae, right? In those days, there's no Singapore, no DHL, no Fed Express, and obviously it would take a lot of effort to send a letter from Rome to Colossae. Why the importance of this letter? Why the urgency? What is the occasion of this letter that Paul felt this great need to write this letter to this church that he's never been to before, that he's never met before. Well, chapter 2, if you look up here, tells us uh, that is a very important reason why the letter to the Colossians was written. Chapter 2, verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive to hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition 
and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Now, it seems as if the root of the problem is that the Colossian Christians, they're a bit naive, right? they're a bit innocent, they're, they're lacking spiritual street smartness, and they're in danger of spiritual predators. Okay, he says that they might be deceived, they might be being taken captive, the idea of being led astray, the idea of being kidnapped. Now, uh, I'm going to recount a story for you about my wife. You know, my wife might not be here, uh, you know, today. Because I remember she told me a story about how when she went to Australia many years ago, okay, and this is very helpful for us if uh, you're a student going to Australia. So anyway, she went to Australia when she was quite young. And one day she was walking home from school. <coughs> and uh, it was a, you know, not normal day. And this man approached her to ask for street directions. And uh, my wife, at the time, just a teenager, tried to help him with street directions. But after a while, he said, look, can you come to my car and show me where it is on the road map? And then my wife asked, where, where's your car? And it, you know, around the corner in this dingy uh, side street, side alley. And my wife told me that something didn't quite feel quite right. Because, you know, if she went down there this side alley all by herself, she'd be far away from the main thoroughfare of the road. And if, any, if this man did anything to her, you know, kidnapped her or captured her, she wouldn't be able to get away. So she said, no, no, and she walked off. See, most probably this man was, uh, you know, some sort of uh, predator that was trying to prey on uh, my wife, who was a teenager at the time. And I think that maybe living in Singapore, we are quite immune from all this stuff. Because I remember, again, just a few weeks ago, I went to a Chinese restaurant with some other relatives, and their daughter, who was 13 years old, went to the toilet in this Chinese restaurant. And when she went to the toilet, uh, the, the mother also went to the toilet with her. So we said, you know, to the family, I said, why, why do you do that for? And they said, oh, because in Brisbane, okay, um, you know, there have been a few cases of these pedophiles who are preying on these young kids. And that's why they never let the, the daughter out of their sight. And apparently in Brisbane recently, some young girl got raped or murdered or killed or something. So, here in this situation, it's not talking about a physical predator, but a spiritual predator. And the techniques are the same, isn't it, as we read there. They're deceiving, they're deceiving uh, the closet Christians, and they're bringing them captive. They're like kidnapping them, they are taking them away, because of these false things that they're teaching them. Now the question that we want to ask, as we look at the book of Colossians is, exactly what is it that, that was happening, that was deceiving them or capturing them? What were these spiritual predators using to take away uh, these uh, innocent Christians? Well, the situation in Colossae in those days was that, uh, it's not very different from Singapore, right? There are lots of different th- thoughts and cultures and influences. And in Colossae, they had a lot of uh, Greek intellectual thinking, right? So, there was a lot of Greek influences which influenced the way you think. You know, knowledge and stuff like that. You know, the Greeks are very fascinated by knowledge, philosophy. And then there was a lot of mystical practices of all the temples. You know, maybe not very different from Taiwan today. Like, you know, a lot of mysticism, spirituality. At the same time, there was also a Jewish legalism. You know, follow the law of Judaism that was there at the time. And all these influences uh, were sort of threatening to take away the Christians from the gospel that they have received. So here, chapter 2, verse 16 to uh, 19, sort of summarize to a bit uh, exactly what this threat was. 
Right? So can you see that? So chapter 2, verse 16 to 19, you can look at it uh, up there, look at it up there, or you can follow it in your Bibles. And this is what Paul says. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Now here, uh, the, the problem is what we call gospel plus. You know gospel plus? They have the gospel, but then they were adding on other things to the gospel. Gospel plus. Okay, not gospel plus is better, but gospel plus other things. So if you look up here, so they have the gospel of Jesus, but then they add on other things. Food laws, religious practices, uh, special knowledge, the worship of angels, all these other things. Gospel plus. Now, this was uh, very, very bad for the Colossians in two ways. And I've tried to summarize it for you. But the two ways were, it affected their confidence in Jesus in terms of the ability to know God. And it affected their confidence in Jesus, in the ability of Jesus to save. So two ways, the knowledge of God, the salvation of God. Both those pillars were being undermined. So, in chapter 1, verse 15, right? next slide, Jesus is the sole communicator of God's uh, character, of God's nature. Chapter 1, verse 15, it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Chapter 1, verse 19, For God was pleased with all His fullness dwell in Him. So, when you see Jesus, you see God. You, you understand God. You, you, you have a communication with God. But, what was happening here was, as we look back to the other slide, I'll highlight it for you. Uh, these false teachers were saying that the way you get to know God, uh, if you look at this passage, was, you know, by the worship of angels and by special people who get special spiritual knowledge from God. And this is a very serious thing, you see, because, uh, again, I'll, I'll, I'll put in a picture to help you understand. If you look at the next slide, uh, the Bible says that all we ever need in order to know God is Jesus. God is invisible, but Jesus is visible. We see the invisible God through Jesus. But what they were saying, uh, these false teachers, was there's other knowledge of God, there's secret knowledge of God. And you can find out this secret knowledge through the worship of angels and through these people who have these, you know, special hotline to God. And I think that's a very important lesson for us. Even at this early stage, right, before we even go into the details of the book, we must be very careful whenever someone says that they have a special hotline to God. Whenever people say that, you know, God spoke to me, uh, that uh, I'm specially, I have this special Holy Spirit that, you know, you know, I can pick up this phone and God's on the other line, right? Or I've got this special knowledge that nobody else has. Well, that's something that is very, very dangerous because that's exactly what was happening here, isn't it? The Colossian Christians had Jesus, but these other people said, look, we have other knowledge, special knowledge which is not available to the general public, right? Only for you, we can give it to you. 
And even today that happens, right? So, uh, I'm sure some of you know Joshua Ng. He preached at our church camp a few years ago. He does work in the University of New South Wales in Sydney. And he was telling me that increasingly, he finds Christians coming to Australia, and they study the Bible together, and uh, they'll say things like, oh yeah, you know, the Bible says this, but you know, my pastor, who's specially spiritually anointed, says that, says something else which is different. Uh, even a few weeks ago, I spoke to another man, and uh, I said, you know, what do you think about this? doesn't seem to make sense what this person says. And he said, oh, my pastor is different. He's specially spiritually anointed. So because he's specially spiritually anointed, wow, he has special insight. Uh, you know, doesn't matter what the Bible says, right? But that's very dangerous because that's exactly what was happening here. These people were losing confidence in Jesus and looking to other ways to know God. A pastor was telling the story about an old relative uh, in Malaysia. And uh, if you ever go to Malaysia and you stay relatives in Chinese New Year, um, even though somehow, I'm not sure whether firecrackers are legal or illegal, but in Chinese New Year, there's firecrackers everywhere. And I remember in Chinese New Year, when I went to my relative's house, they would hang up these red firecrackers, you know those super loud ones? And when they blow, they're like, the ground is completely full of red uh, tissue, right? And it's really loud, like super loud. No way they're allowed in Singapore, okay? But somehow in, in Malaysia, it's everywhere, okay? But this professor was telling the story about how uh, the grandmother had poor eyesight and uh, couldn't see very well. So she saw these red uh, things there on the floor and she thought it was someone left behind their red packets of money. But when she got there and she tried to pick it up, actually someone had lit some firecrackers and they exploded and, and she got a shock, you know, and she burned herself a little bit. And I think that's what's happening here because, you see, false teaching and the gospel message, sometimes it seems close enough. People say, yeah, you know, I've got special knowledge and it seems like it's quite close to the Bible, but, you know, we're not really sure. But it's actually very dangerous. It's actually the difference between knowing God as He really is and something which is close, but not quite it. You know, it's like uh, in China, you know, you read about how they're making uh, artificial eggs, right? Okay, I mean, it's close, but it's not the same thing and it's very dangerous for you. Uh, it's like if I give you uh, money, right? Uh, let's say I give you $50. I don't know where I got $50. I must ask my wife. Okay, I got it. Okay, I got $50, right? And, uh, and you know, it's slightly different from the real $50. It's still not good enough, right? It's still a counterfeit. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that the knowledge that they have through Jesus is sufficient, is perfect. And you don't need all these people supplying all this additional information from angels or from special communication of God. The second thing that was happening in the Colossae church was they were not just losing confidence in Jesus as a form of knowledge. They were losing confidence in Jesus as the means or the instrument of salvation. So if you look up here, chapter 1 verse 19 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But, this is what Paul is saying, right? This is what the Bible says. What were the Colossians 
the, the, the false teachers, these spiritual predators saying, well, this is what they were saying. They were saying, right, uh, it says, the devil do not let anyone judge you. They were being judged by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. Uh, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So what was happening was, this Gospel Plus, they were saying that, uh, if you look at the next slide, so, as we read the Bible, we say that, okay, Jesus has done everything right, through his death on the cross, we are redeemed, we are saved, we are reconciled with God. But they were saying, okay, that's good enough, that's a good start, but there's some other things you have to do. The DIY stuff, you know, the DIYs do yourself stuff, so Jesus has done the beginning, but there's still some DIY stuff that you need to do. You, do, you need to make sure that you eat the right stuff, you've got to keep the right days, do the right, uh, uh, you know, religious experiences. Now, we have the same thing too, you know, I realize today, as Christians, we may not realize it, but when you think about it, there are many things that some Christians say that we have to do, which are actually gospel plus. They are DIY stuff, which somehow makes you more acceptable to God. So I remember, if you look at the next slide, I put it in graphic form, right? Uh, there was a Christian that came to our church a while ago, and he said that in his church, he left his church, I said, no, why are you visiting? He said, I left my church. He said, why are you leaving your church? He said, well, at the church that he was at, they were beginning to say that unless you can speak in tongues, you are not really a Christian. Now, once you begin to say things like that, you must have this, if not, you're not a Christian, then the work of Jesus on the cross is insufficient. Uh, you know, it's not enough that Jesus died for your sins. You must speak in tongues so that you, by speaking in tongues, what you do, you can make yourself acceptable to God. Uh, another relative of mine, or not, not another relative, a relative of mine, uh, said to me a while ago, um, he said, oh, you know, uh, it's coming to Easter time, right? And he says, is your church uh, doing Lent? You, you know what Lent is? Lent is like 40 days before Easter, I think. And you have to preach through uh, all these things. Uh, I'm not even sure what you do. Anyway, I said, no, Lent. I said, what's Lent? You know, what do you have to do for that? And she said, oh, you know, you're not a real church unless you practice Lent. And I also think, oh, Oh, that's really bad, because I've never practiced Lent my whole life, right? So, so I'm not really a real Christian. But it's the same concept, isn't it? Unless you do this Lent thing, you're not real Christians. Uh, some other people say that, you know, unless you're... Um, what is it, huh? That's right. Unless you're really rich, or God blesses you, you know, God is not really on your side. Or some other people say that, uh, again, another friend of mine went overseas, and he said, oh, he wants to join this church. And this church said, unless, he had already been baptized, okay, this guy, and he said, unless you are re-baptized in our special way in our church, you are not really a Christian. Again, it's a DIY thing, right? You must do this thing. If Jesus' death is not enough, you must be re-baptized in a special way by our church. If not, you're not a Christian. See, all these things were actually making people lose confidence in Jesus as a way of knowing God, and it's a way of being saved. So what's the solution, right? If you want to be saved from physical predators, what do you do? You hang around other people, you get your parents to follow you around, you stay in well-lit areas, you don't travel alone, okay? Well, what do you do as Christians to avoid spiritual predators? Well, it's very straightforward actually. In uh, chapter 2, verse 6, uh, many people say in chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, is the key verse in the whole of the book. 
of Colossians. And this is like the core uh, message of Colossians. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you are taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, I want to draw your attention to the word just as. Okay? Uh, just as is a very important word here. He's saying just as they have received it, they must continue in it. You know, not to add on new things, different things, novel things, but just as you have got it, you continue in it. And I think that um, what he's trying to say here is repeated in three pictures, right? So, next slide. Uh, okay, I already said this, right? Next slide. See, he uses three visual pictures of continuing in the message, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as they receive it. So, first thing he says is, uh, you must continue to live. It says my mind says continue to live in Him. NIV, uh, e, uh, ESV, and other translations may say continue to walk in Him. The idea of walking and living are the same in the in the Greek word, right? It's walking and living in our life is a journey. So you continue to walk and live in Jesus as this has been received. And that's a very powerful picture. You know, I remember when I was younger. We used to always go to Penang for holidays. No, Penang is today's Langkawi lah. Whatever. Or today's Phuket, right? So we used to go to uh, Penang, you know, for holidays or holidays. And I always remember this thing we always did was my dad would be walking in front of us and my sister and I would always try to walk on his footsteps. You know, have you ever done that before as a kid? You know, you, the older person walks in front and you walk on the footsteps. And that's the picture here. You see, we walk... We continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. We journey with Jesus just as they have been received. Not in a new way, not deviating and going somewhere else, but walking in the real Jesus as it has been received by them. And then he says, look, you must be rooted. Okay, you must be rooted. And uh, if you ever go to botanical gardens, uh, I love going to botanical gardens, you know, because you see these huge trees and uh, these trees have been there like since, uh, I don't know, so Stanford Raffles time or something, right? You sort of think, wow, this tree is really old. And uh, imagine all that this tree has witnessed, the Japanese occupation, separation, everything, and this tree has still been there, right? And you think, okay, why is it still there? Because the roots are really deep. You know, it's like, it's really deep, deep under the ground. And uh, it's the same picture of Jesus. We, we When we receive Jesus, we do not just accept Him and that's it. We have to go deep in Him. Rooted in Him. You know, it's a picture of, of being really grounded in the Jesus that we've received and not, you know, go off and do other things to be like a rolling stone and having no connection to the Jesus as we receive. And the last thing is, we must continue to be built up. Now, I know that some of you are, uh, no, no, some, some of you, I don't know whether you ever build your houses, but okay, look, next door, perfect example, okay? Building, new building. Now, when you build a house, uh, you, you know, you, you start off, what do you do? You work on the foundation, right? Okay? You build the foundation, and then you build higher and higher and higher, and then you put the windows and the roof and everything else. But you keep building on the same foundation, don't you? I mean, it would be really silly if they put the foundation here, and then they build the, 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 the flat somewhere else. You keep building on the same foundation, and that's what this picture is. We continue to build up 
on Jesus on the same foundation. We don't move on to other foundations and build other places because that's where the foundation is. So, Paul is saying, look, you want to be safe from these spiritual predators. You continue to live in Jesus as you received it. You're rooted in this gospel that you received. You're built up on this foundation. You don't go build somewhere else. So, the message for us is quite clear, right? When you hear new teaching, new ideas about Christianity, how do you feel about it? What is your reaction when you pick up a new book with fresh ideas and, uh, you know, you, 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 they're different from what the Bible seems to be saying or different from, uh, it's challenging because it doesn't seem to tie in with what the Bible is saying. Well, you should feel fear, great fear. Because I think that's what Paul felt when he heard from Epaphras what was happening in the church in Colossae. And that's what gave him the occasion to pick up the pen and to write this letter and to send it all the way from Rome, all the way down, to how many months the journey would have taken, all the way down to Colossae. Because the Christian life is not one uh, where it's like a buffet, you know? You know what a buffet is? You know, why do you like buffets? Because you can eat anything, right? You can pick and choose what you like. So, um, I won't tell you who lah. Sometimes you go to a buffet with people that eat very funny. Start the dessert, right? Then they go on the entree, then the main course, they start all over again. I've seen some of you at the church camp, so I know some of you are like that, right? Okay? Now, the thing is, the Christian life is not like that. The Christian faith is not a buffet. It is just one thing that has been given, and we must stick to that one thing. Now, I know some people who have all sorts of Christian experiences. You know, they go from church to church. So they go from charismatic church, then they go to uh, prosperity gospel, then they go to prayer of Jabez, then they go to healing, and they go all over the place. And people think that, you know, these are gospel trivialities. You know, okay, la, these different traditions, you know, enrich and give variety to the, to the Christian church. But I don't think Paul sees it that way, right? Paul doesn't see it as gospel trivialities, Paul sees it as dangerous. So, I remember this uh, next slide. Okay, next one. So I remember this uh, pastor, I think he he died recently, from England, uh, gave us this uh, illustration. He said that, uh, you know, we have received the gospel just as uh, a body of knowledge about Jesus and it's been given by Jesus to his apostles to communicate to us. Okay, that's that's the middle part, the just as, okay? But then, the Christian church has kept adding on all these ideas uh, over time, and even now we see it. So, you have all these uh, viruses and thieves and robbers, right? Okay? But what happens is, instead of the Christian church saying, okay, look, this is it. This is it. This is the message we receive, and we're going to stick to this. The Christian church keeps expanding the circle and saying, okay, we will embrace all these different traditions, we will embrace all these different teachings, we will embrace all these different ideas, and we will still call them Christian. So in England, you can have bishops who will say there is no resurrection of Jesus, but they are still Christian. You have teachers who say, Jesus is not the Son of God, He's actually not God, He's just a man. He's an example to us from God. And he, this man is still a Christian. But you have other people who say, okay, the way to really know God is not to read the Bible, but you know, it's by spiritual practice. And it's okay, we're still Christians. We're all still Christians. But the Bible, spoken to us here, is very clear. 
we must stick to the just as. In my uh, theological college, the principal told us before we went out, he says, look, when you go out to be a pastor, there will be pressure on you to do many things, to be a counselor, uh, administrator, do a conflict resolution, become a CEO, right? He says that your job when you go out to church is you have got to defend the gospel. You've got to make sure that people keep the gospel as they really have because there are spiritual predators out there. So, we've, uh, next slide. We've done the first two chapters. Okay, don't worry, the next, uh, next two will be much shorter. Okay? First chapter was all about Jesus and about the Colossian faith. The next chapter in chapter two was about warning. Don't lose this faith. Don't lose this gospel. The last two chapters, chapter three and four, is to how to live as Christians. And the picture here is uh, putting on, right? He keeps using this idea of putting on, like taking off clothes and putting on clothes. He says, now you're a Christian, you're this new person, you take off the old clothes that you used to live, and you put on the new heavenly clothes, the way that you should live as a Christian. Someone once said that as a Christian, we must be, in our mind, we must be filled with knowledge, of our heart, we must be convicted, but with our hands, we must live a Christian life. And I think that's what chapter 3 and 4 is all about, isn't it? It's about living out the Christian life, putting on the Christian life. So here there's an overview of the book of Colossians. And I think that I hope that you can get the picture of what Paul and Colossians is all about. So in conclusion, I'd like to leave you with this illustration. I read in the Straits Times a few years ago, I didn't cut it out, but it was definitely there, about a family who had a son. And apparently this son had died uh, very suddenly. Uh, they took him to the hospital and he died. And it was like big news because... It was very rare, you know, it's very rare that young people die like this. And the newspaper said that uh, this uh, boy had been very sick in the doc- and they took him to the doctor. And the doctor had given him uh, antibiotics. And he was getting better and better. And uh, the parents, um, as many people do, never finish the course of antibiotics. I'm sure the doctors will always say you must finish your course of antibiotics. Right, very important. Um, health advisory here, right. Always finish antibiotics. Anyway, the boy didn't finish his antibiotics and then he got sick again because the, the, the illness obviously hadn't been completely you know, eradicated in his body. So they went to see uh, this, um, I don't know, this uh, spiritual healer come, uh, you know, mystic person that was a family friend and, and then this person said, okay, you must, you must take all these herbs and everything else. I don't know whether this person was qualified or not. And as a result, uh, this boy kept taking all this uh, medicine concoction that this person had given them, and uh, he didn't get better. In fact, he got a lot worse, and then he died. And uh, in the autopsy, uh, which was uh, you know what the newspaper article was about, they found that actually this boy had pneumonia. And if he had continued with his antibiotics and finished the course, he would probably be alive today. But what had happened was the parents had lost confidence in the antibiotics, and they tried something new. And because they went on to do something new thing, the boy had died. And that's what uh, this autopsy concluded. And I think that that's what Colossians is a, is a warning to us, isn't it? Because we begin with the Gospel. We begin with the Bible. But many people are clamoring and whispering in our ears that, you know, you've got to move on to other things. The, the Bible is a good beginning. Jesus is a good beginning. But there's other things out there, you know, to move on to. But the book of Colossians says no. We must keep the Bible just as, we must keep Jesus just as we are taught by God's Word in the Bible, by the Apostle Paul.
And only in that way will we really, really know God as He is. And only in that way will we be saved through Jesus. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, uh, truly dear Father, we want to pray that we will see things like your servant Paul did, that when we are faced with new teaching, teaching which is contrary to what we've received in your word, that our warning defenses are raised, that our alarm bells go off, and we see how dangerous it is. When people tell us that there is a new way of knowing you, another way of knowing you, when people tell us that there is another thing that we need to do to be saved, help us to run away fast and to see just how dangerous that sort of whispering can be in our ear. And dear Father, may we always stand in the gospel just as we've received it in your word. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen.